this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, open up whenever you get there, say, I got it. Some of you already are probably already there because you know we've been walking through the book of Hebrews for quite some time. Uh, so I'll be able to uh, just have the pleasure to speak to you guys tonight, to continue to walk through uh, this book of Hebrews that we've been walking through for the past several weeks uh, here at Connection Church. Uh, so we'll be at Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, my sermon title for tonight is Come Through, right? Maybe some of you guys have ever heard that phrase before come through. It's kind of this phrase of expecting someone to show up or expecting someone to do something, right? Where that, that, that if you're going out with someone, you said, yeah, let's go hang out at this place. You say, yeah, I'll be there. And you'll say, yeah, come through. And, and you're expecting someone to make something happen, right? So we're going to kind of talk about that here in a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if it's, if it's a good thing to say that I have a favorite book of the Bible because, you know, we should love all of God's word, right? Uh, but if I can say that, that I have a favorite book of the Bible, Hebrews is absolutely my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, let me tell you why. Because Hebrews, to me, it does this amazing job and this beautiful work of taking the Old Testament, bridging it to the New Testament, and just all pointing towards Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing of seeing all that come together. So anytime I get to read the book of Hebrews or dive into the book of Hebrews, it's just a beautiful thing to do because it bridges all that together. Uh, And so let me kind of give you like maybe a modern day analogy. Uh, How many of you guys have already seen Avengers Endgame? A lot of people. If you have not, I'm about to spoil it right now. You ready? I'm just kidding. It's like three weeks. Like at this point, if, if someone spoils it, that's your fault. Um, but as the movie was coming out, I remember people were asking, hey, like someone give me like the top five movies I should watch to, to really understand Avengers Endgame. If you don't know anything, Endgame is like movie number 22, right? And they're like, give me like the five I need to watch just to really understand this. And, and every time I saw that on Facebook, I'm like, like, you need to just watch all of them. You will get a greater appreciation of what's about to happen, right? And then people were sharing, like, this 15-minute long video of, like, just watch this 15-minute video. It'll tell you everything you need to know. Then go watch Endgame. I'm like, man, that's, that's, not, like, that's not right. Like, that's so wrong of you to do that, right? Uh, because I'm a huge fan of all that. And so I'm watching every single movie. I'm, I'm watching it multiple times, watching them all through to get ready for Endgame, right? And people did that. I'm like, man, you miss so much good stuff, right? I feel like whenever we look at the book of Hebrews and, and we just kind of discredit the Old Testament or say, I'm just going to read the New Testament, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of trying to play catch up here, right? We're trying to maybe figure out the details of what's going on. But what I love about Hebrews is it takes what we know about the Old Testament uh, and it bridges it together with the New Testament. It's a beautiful thing to see. And so that's why so many times in Hebrews, you hear them referencing stories of the Old Testament, uh, that Jesus is greater than Moses, that when God made a promise to Abraham, and maybe for us as we read that, we're like, yeah, like I don't really understand that. Uh, Maybe because we're not really into the Old Testament a whole lot. And so what I want to do as we dive into this passage is really kind of give some background in talking about this guy Abraham that we're going to look at. So Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13, it says this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. 
For people swear by something greater than themselves, and all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by the two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this as a sheer and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray real quick. Father God, you're so good. Uh, we, we thank you for allowing us to come here, to gather into your place, uh, and to be able to dive into your word again, God. I pray that, uh, that maybe we've read this passage a hundred times, or maybe tonight's the first time ever hearing about this passage. I pray that you would speak to us, open up our minds to new things that you want to reveal to us, uh, and God, that we would respond in faith in you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, anybody ever broken a promise before? Got a lot of liars in the room. Or you're just like, you're like, not a, right? It's okay, right? We're humans, right? It happens sometimes. Uh, so anybody not come through, right? So for all the, you know, young people in the room. Um, maybe you've broken a promise before, or maybe you've done something to where, like, you said you were going to do something at a certain time, but then you didn't make it at the time. You did it later, right? Uh, so that happened to me, right? Where I was the one who didn't break a promise, but I didn't really fulfill the timing of what I said I was going to do, right? Uh, so Summer and I had been dating for, like, two years, uh, and so now we're having the conversations like, yeah, we're going to get married. It's going to happen. And she claims that I did this. I don't really remember. I have bad memory. She said that in, as we're talking about getting married, that I told her, I'm going to propose to you by August. Like that, I don't remember saying that. She says I did. I trust her. She's not a liar. I believe that, right? She's, so I said, I'm going to propose by August. It was October and I hadn't proposed yet, Right. So I hadn't come through on my promise yet. And so I didn't know this, but after, like, throughout that whole time, she's thinking, like, this guy's never going to do it. And people were telling her, like, you should just break up with him. I was like, what? Like, people were telling you that? Like, I'm so good, right? So it was October, and I hadn't proposed to her yet. So finally, we, we had, like, like, started dating October 31st, Halloween night. I know it's kind of weird, but it happened that night. Uh, so we started dating, and I was just thinking, like, when am I going to do this? I had bought a ring already. Uh, our church had, like, this big Halloween festival, and we're like, yeah, this is the perfect time to do this. And I didn't know that the whole time she's thinking, like, this guy's probably never going to do this. He said it was going to happen in August. It's now October. It never happened. In my mind, I'm like, you want to surprise somebody, you just kind of make them think you're never going to do it. Then boom, bam, make it happen, right? Promise fulfilled, right? So finally, it was like October, like 27th, 28th, uh, and I finally did the whole thing. There's actually a video on Facebook. You can watch it later. Uh, it was great. She was surprised. I came through with the promise, right? Now we're married six years as of Friday. Amen. Promise happened, right? So many times we don't come through with our promises, right? So many times we, we just maybe say we're going to do something, but we just take so long to make it happen, right? And that's why in Scripture, Jesus says, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no, Right? And so now we get to talk about a God who always comes through with his promises, a God who's never going to take back what he says he's going to do something, right? And, and I, I believe that the Hebrew Christians that, that are getting this letter, they're struggling with that. Because right now, as they're reading all this, they're experiencing deep and heavy persecution, and it's causing them to kind of waver in their faith, right? It's causing them to maybe doubt or maybe question. And the thing about these folks is that they knew so much about the Old Testament. That's why the writer's like, hey, remember Moses? Well, Jesus is greater than that guy. Remember Abraham? Remember his story? Remember when God made the promise to that guy? Well, it's the same God who makes the promises to us, right? And so that's how we get the beginning of the story, that God made a promise to Abraham 
And since no one greater by whom to swear that God swore it by himself. And so what I want to do is, is what is it about God that we can trust in his promises? What is it about God that we can trust that he's going to come through no matter what, right? Because the same God who promised Abraham in that moment of the Old Testament is the same God who promises to us today, right? That God is never changing, that God does not lie. It's the same God. So how do we know he's going to come through? So I want to talk about a couple of characteristics about God that help us know that it's going to happen. First thing is this, if you're taking notes. God's nature. That it's in God's nature that we know and trust that he's not going to lie, that he's going to come through with his promises, right? That it was when God made a promise to Abraham, and maybe you're thinking, why, why is that a big deal that God made a promise to this guy Abraham? Like, I don't even know who that is, right? That maybe you didn't grow up in church. For me, that's my story. I didn't grow up in church. So when people are like, Father Abraham had man, he's like, I didn't know that story growing up. And when I heard that when I was like a teenager, I was like, what are they doing? Like, why are they singing that song, right? But that's such a big story in scripture, right? That Abraham, this dude, that God made this huge promise to. And so maybe you don't really know the story. So let's kind of highlight it a little bit. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, we have this story where God tells this guy, Abraham, he says this promise, I will surely bless you and multiply you, Right? I'm going to bless you and multiply you. Uh, I, I like to do this when I read the Bible. Anytime God says, I will, like I, I circle that. Like God's making a promise at that moment. I want to see if God's going to fulfill that promise. I want to see if God's going to come through in that moment. So God says, I will bless you and I will multiply you. And he tells that promise to Abraham. Let's look at Abraham's circumstance. Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. It says that Abraham is 75 years old when he heard that promise, right? 75 years old. No kids yet with his wife, Sarah. And God says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply you, right? Abraham's got to be thinking, like, you're going to do what? Like, you're going to give me a kid? Like, God, you know how old I am? They keep going on. Promises made. Sarah is now 90 years old, and there's a passage in there where Abraham kind of laughs at the promise. God reminds him of the promise. He's like, it's not going to happen. And in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, it says this, The Lord did as he had promised, right? God came through. Only problem was Abraham was 100 years old, <laughs> 25 years of waiting for the promise to happen, right? We'll kind of get to that part here in a second. And if you remember the rest of Abraham's story, him and Sarah now have a son, right? And then God tells him, take that son, and I want you to sacrifice him on the mountain, right? Which is a crazy thing to talk about. It's a whole other sermon. I'll let Daniel preach on that one, right? Crazy thing to talk about. Take your son, take him up to the mountain, I want you to sacrifice him, right? So at this point, Abraham says, God, you came through once. I believe you're going to come through again, right? That he's now experiences God's promises, so you're going to come through again. So he takes him up there, and he's willing and ready to do what God wanted him to do. And then God says, no, don't do it, right? Here's a ram. Sacrifice this, right? God says, you don't have to do that because here's what I truly believe. At that moment, Abraham was showing God that he believes in him, that he put his faith in God's promises, right? I believe that our faith is revealed by our works, right? That we don't work to try to get something, right? We don't work to try to get something out of this, that we work based on the faith that we have already in God. And so in that moment, Abraham's like, bro, you came through. I'm going to believe you're going to come through again. I'm going to do what you're telling me to do, right? That his faith was just fully in God. And he goes up, and he's ready to do it. And, and, and now as we read the story in light of the entirety of Scripture, in light of what we know about Jesus, it's almost like God is saying, don't do it. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to send my son and sacrifice him as the ultimate sacrifice, right? It's a beautiful picture of the gospel in that moment. Our faith is, when we know that our faith is real, it's going to be revealed by our works. We get that in the book of James. God says, don't do that. 
And he tells Abraham to do it, which we get to the second point. The first one was in God's nature, that we can know that God is going to come through on his promises. The second one is in God's son and Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate promise that we have. Because whenever we look to Jesus, we find our hope. Whenever we look to Jesus, we find our anchor in that moment. And, and here's when we, when, we, when we think about promises, it's really hard and, and really struggling sometimes. Because a really big criteria of God's promises is also God's timing, which is never fun, right? And when you look at when God made the promise to Abraham, it was 25 years of waiting, right? I'm not sure about you guys. I'm not the most patient person of all time, right? I get upset when I see like 12 minutes NW train to Astoria Boulevard or to Astoria Demars. I'm like, 12 minutes? Like I'm tempted every time, walk downstairs, I'm going to get an Uber, let's get home fast, right? I don't like waiting, right? And, 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 I, and maybe you're like me. In the waiting, I, I kind of get frustrated and I want to start doing something, right? Like if I know God's telling me to do something, he's saying wait on me to act, like I just want to start doing something. If you read through the story of Abraham, there are moments where he just kind of got frustrated. He says, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, right? That's a very real temptation whenever we're called to wait on God's promises. But God says, hey, I just want you to wait. That God's promises also come with God's timing, and sometimes we don't like to agree with that. Because we want things on our timing. We're a very instant gratification culture, right? That as soon as we post a picture, we want likes right away, right? We don't want to wait all day for another like, right? We want the likes to happen right now, right? We're instant gratification where I want this, I need this, I need it right now, right? But yet, God's promises, they always come with God's timing. God made the promise. That means he's going to make it happen because that's his nature, right? And he reveals that through God's Son and Jesus Christ. And, and so here's the thing when you kind of think about the other side of it. When you think about the nature of our enemy, the one that is against us as we're walking in relationship with Christ, his nature is to come and steal, kill, and destroy. John 10, verse 10, right? But it's in God's nature that we would have life to the fullest, and we have access through that through Jesus Christ, through God's Son. It's God's nature that he never lies. He always comes through in his promises, in his timings, and he reveals that through his son. And thirdly is this. Is what do we do in the waiting? I think we need to really do work with that question. You look at the story of Abraham, 75 years old when he was told about the promise, 100 years old when the promise actually happened. There's a lot of waiting involved in that. Maybe, maybe some of you guys are walking through something real and you've been praying about it and you're like, God, it's been two weeks. When are you going to come through? Right? And, and the Hebrew Christians, they're, they're going through all this persecution. They're like, God, when are you going to come through? Right? And I love that the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, do you remember what happened to Moses? Well, Jesus is greater than that. Do you remember what happened to Abraham? Well, Jesus is greater than that. He's the ultimate high priest. He's the ultimate mediator between, between all this and what we're going to happen, Right? And so he continually points them to Jesus to remind them of what Jesus did for them, right? And so what do we do in the waiting when God promises something? I think it's pretty obvious. Look at verse 17 and 18. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, says he guaranteed it with an oath, right? Meaning this, he guaranteed it with his word. He said, I'm going to make this happen. The third thing that we know that God's going to come through on his promises is God's word. That God said, I'm going to make this happen. He says he guaranteed it with an oath. He guaranteed it with, with a saying. He guaranteed it with his word, which we now have his word printed in the palm of our hands, right? So what do we do in the waiting? We get in God's word, right? 
that we now have the capability of diving into God's word every single day of our lives because we have it in the palm of our hands, right? So the God that we serve is a God who is a covenant-making God and a covenant-keeping God, right? Every single Sunday we take the Lord's Supper, right? That we, we drink of the blood, that this is a new covenant, and this is a covenant-keeping God that we have, right? And it's the God who, who made the promise of Abraham that shows that the God that we serve is a God who is a covenant-keeper that does not lie. And our hope is guaranteed because God's word is true. And it's so easy to lose hope. It's so easy to lose ground whenever we're not diving in and trusting in God's word. It's so easy to feel like we're walking on shaky ground or walking on wavy ground whenever we're not trusting in and diving into God's word. Right? Often we think, we think that God's not going to show up because it's not on our timing. But yet God's saying, trust in my timing. And I want to look at and highlight something big in verse 17 that I think is a huge phrase. It says this. God desired to show more convincingly to who? Y'all read it. What does it say there? Who did, who did he want to show this to? The heirs of the promise, right? Can someone tell me, crowd participation, what is an inheritance? Nobody knows. What? Something you get based on what? On relationship, right? So an inheritance is something that you receive based on who you belong to, right? Normally when someone passes away, right? So one of the richest people in the entire world, Mark Zuckerberg, right? When that dude passes away, ideally a lot of his stuff, his, his possessions, his money is going to go to his family, right? People that are close to him, right? I guarantee that when Mark Zuckerberg passes away, Danny is not going to receive anything of Mark Zuckerberg's inheritance. Although that'd be kind of crazy if like, you know, like, hey, Mark Zuckerberg passed away. That's not good, but here's a $100 check. You were fifth cousins of Mark Zuckerberg. And I was just like, what? Right? That'd be crazy that happened. I'm not getting nothing from that dude because I don't belong to his family line, right? An inheritance is solely dependent on who you belong to. Here in this passage, God is saying, here's what, here's what I want to do. I'm going to show you, showing more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, to those that are God's children, to those that belong to him, right? An inheritance is solely dependent on who you belong to. And God's saying, here's the promise that I have for you, that whoever believes in Jesus is going to experience eternal life. This is God promising something to us, and here we're in this moment in this earth and trying to say, like, God, are you going to come through with this promise? I'm putting my faith in you, and we have this faith in Jesus that 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 promise is going to happen, that one day we're going to spend eternity with him in heaven, that he's going to come through with that promise, but it's solely dependent on who you belong to. And so the question number two that I want you to do work with, question number one is what do you do in the waiting? Question number two is who do you belong to, right? That's a real question that we all have to do work with. If your faith is in Jesus, that means you belong to Jesus, right? But if your faith is not in Jesus, then we have to do the question of who, it, who is it that we belong to because we receive this promise inheritance solely dependent on who we belong to. He says, I want to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, the unchangeable character of God, the same God who promised Abraham is the same God who promises John 3.16 to us today as heirs of the promise. And he does that so we can hold fast to who God is. And, and I think oftentimes we have this struggle that, that maybe, maybe we think, well, if God showed up the way he did in the Old Testament, I think I would have a bigger faith in God. That if I had this moment where God just parted the sea and I saw that with my eyes, I would have a bigger faith in him. If I had this moment where there's bush was burning and talking to me and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, like how is that thing talking to me? Then I would have a bigger faith in God, right? 
And we have these maybe emotions that if God would move the clouds or do something huge, then I would have this bigger faith in God, right? But here's the beautiful thing. It says he wants to, to prove his promise by giving an oath, by his word, right? This is just my opinion. I think we have it better than the guys and characters of the Old Testament. Why? Because we have God's word completed in the palm of our hand, right? Back then, they would hear from God through Moses, through prophets. They couldn't just go to their house and just read God's word. They couldn't just go to their house and have this relationship with God, right, personally with him. Now, But now we live on this side where we have Jesus, and we have our faith in Jesus, and we have God's word at the palm of our hands. So what are we doing in the waiting? My hope and prayer for all of us is as we're waiting for God to come through, that we would just dive into his word that we would get into his word because it's through his word and through prayer that God speaks to us. It's through his word that we read about his promises. It's through his words that we build our foundation. We talked about this at our men's uh, Bible study group the other night. That As you read through the Sermon on the Mount, right, the Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful passage, right? It's, it's, it's three chapters of Jesus just preaching, right? Three chapters of all of Jesus' words that are comforting, that are challenging. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, It says, if you hear these words of mine and do them, it's like the wise man who built his house on the rock. But if you hear these words of mine and you don't do them, it's like the person who built his house on sand. And the winds came and the storm came and it blew away, right? So I think whenever we take what we we read in God's word, we take what we know about God, we take what we know about Jesus, and then we apply it to what we do for Jesus, it's going to build that foundation for us to be able to stand firm in the midst of the storm. These Hebrew Christians, they were going through the storm. They were going through the persecution, right? And they were just being tempted to walk away from their faith because of what they were experiencing. He's saying, hey, remember the the God who made the promise to Abraham? It's the same God, right? And you are an heir to this promise. And don't forget about Jesus because it's him that we hold our hope and we have our anchor. So as we're applying God's words to us, as we take the words of Jesus and we build them up on our life, we are then setting our anchor to be able to stand firm whenever the storm comes. I'll close off with this story. It's a very familiar passage. You guys remember the story of the disciples uh, going through the storm in the boat? Right? It's a really cool story. Jesus says, hey, you guys get on the boat. Meet me on the other side. So they get on the boat, and they start going through the sea, right? And all of a sudden, in the midst of that, this huge storm comes. And they're fearing for their lives. Like they think that they're going to die in this moment, right? And all of a sudden, as they're waiting in the storm, they see something coming towards them. They thought it was a ghost. And it was Jesus in that moment. And they're unsure of who, of who it was, of who it was that was walking towards them. And Jesus says, hey, it's me. And Peter says this, if it is you, call me out of the boat, right? What, and, and what does Jesus do? He says, come on, get out of the boat. What does Peter do? He starts doing this right here, right? Starts getting out of the boat. And all of a sudden, he starts, like, tapping the water. Like, we do that to see if the water's cold or hot, but he's doing it to step on it, right? And he steps on the water. And I can't imagine what he's experiencing at that moment, right? Two people walked on water, Jesus and Peter, right? And he starts stepping on the water, and then what happens? Y'all remember? He starts sinking, right? So many people focus on the fact that Peter started sinking. Like, Peter, have more faith, bro. Like, what are you doing? Where were the other 11 disciples? in the boat, probably cuddled up together because they thought they were going to die in that moment. Peter was the one who's saying, I'm going to step out this boat and go towards Jesus, right? I think if we want to experience this, this really weight of having Jesus as our anchor and Jesus as our hope, 
it's going to take us stepping out of the boat. It's going to take us taking steps towards Jesus and being willing to take that risk of saying, Jesus, I believe that's you. I'm going to go towards that right now. And maybe there's going to be moments where we start sinking. But what did Jesus do? He said, hey, bro, get up. I got you, right? He was there to pick him up, right? In moments when we're experiencing the storm and we have God's word, trusting in God's son as we step out of the boat, as we walk into the storm. Maybe right now you're going through the storm. Maybe right now your life is just like pff, rocking you away. Maybe right now you're not, but we still prepare for the storm, right? Because if we're not going through the storm, then the other side of the temptation is I'm good. I don't need anything else, right? I'm doing all this on my own. I'm, I'm good. I don't need God. I don't need anything else to really help me out. But as we're walking through God's word every single day of our lives, preparing for the storm or in the midst of the storm, we're always centering our attention towards Jesus, no matter what. I think Jesus is calling every single one of us to step out of the boat, step on the water, looking to him continually and putting all our faith and hope in him. And in those moments, we're going to experience and, and really know the fact that Jesus is our hope, that Jesus is our anchor. Let me pray for you guys. Father God, we love you so much. So grateful, um, God, that we get to have Jesus as our hope and as our anchor. God, that we get to come here, we get to worship you, we get to sing to you that you are the everlasting, that you are the unchangeable God. It's crazy to think that it, it was you who made a promise to Abraham thousands of years ago that is still making promises to us today. And God, that you're desiring us for, for us to step in faith towards you. God, you have made the, the everlasting promise of John 3.16 that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus that whoever puts their faith in him would have everlasting life. Uh, but God, also, God, we know that there's so many people in this room that are called to a specific thing, that maybe they're called to ministry or called to live out their faith. And, and God, sometimes that's a fearful thing. So I pray that in the everyday that we would take a step of faith towards you, that we would not just trust you with the everlasting, we would not just trust you in the eternal, but we'd also trust you in the now. God, I pray that we would continually set our eyes and our hearts towards Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. God, in moments of the storm, God, in moments when everything seems to be going amazing, that we would set our attention and our faith towards you. God, I pray for anybody in this room that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they'd be willing to step up and make that decision tonight, that they would say, that I want to know about this, Jesus. I want to be a part of the air. I want to be a part of this promise that, that you are offering us. They would make that decision tonight. God, be with us the rest of the week. We love you so much. Amen.